0: This is Max.
1: This is Christina.
0: This is Evan.
1: This is
2: Allie.
0: And you're listening to Semi-Pros. You haven't read the half of it. Today we're talking about Shut Up, You're Pretty uh, by Taya Mutanji. Evan, sex. (laughs) Yes or no? (laughs) Positive (laughs) or negative?
2: Better than the slave group question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, in this book or just general, like my general thoughts on it? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so let's do it. Okay. I mean, I feel like sex, uh, sex is natural. Sex is fun in the words of George Michael. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, it can be both a positive and negative experience. I think oftentimes when it becomes a negative experience, we often have other words for it. But I feel like there's also a, a category of sex which is negative without becoming assault or, you know, yeah. other horrible things.
2: Which I feel like we're bad about like talking about as a society. Like for sure. we're bad about talking about bad sex yeah, that it, isn't that isn't like, assault that isn't assault or isn't like dangerous, it's bad.
1: I think that's a great point. And I'm just thinking about how people are always like, you know, like the Inuit have a hundred words for snow, like we have <laughs> We need more words. <laughs> we have one for word sex. for sex. We have one word for sex. Oh, well, we think have more than one word for sex. We have more sex, than one word for sex, but, yeah. but like you're saying these, I like that idea of like these shades of like, I didn't really like that, but yeah. I don't need to like, yeah do anything about that
3: necessarily. It wasn't, it wasn't for maybe not a, Or like, I yeah.
1: instigated that mm-hmm. and I regretted it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's a thing that can happen too. But like, like, it
3: wasn't a violation, but it yeah. wasn't yeah a positive experience.
1: Yeah. Do you guys feel like bad sex is more defining... Than, good, than sex? good sex, like More defining. do you re, like do you remember, like I just feel like people if you have bad, I guess it's like if you have bad sex, then you, then it's a thing that happened it's to like you, a thing that happened to you. It's like a a ring in the tree. It's like a, yeah. a marker. But if you have good, is it as defining? Is it as something you would tell your friends about? Is it? I mean, I, mean, I
3: think it makes for less entertaining stories if you're always having good sex. I'm I sure think other also, people would hate yeah. you.
1: I think it's also,
2: like, (laughs) I think it's kind of good maybe in a way that it's less defining in the sense, Mm -hmm. like, maybe not in the sense of your, like, what you think about in your life, but, like, if you're holding good sex as what you, as the default, Mm -hmm. then, like, when you have good sex, it's not, like, a life-altering thing because it's Mm -hmm. not, like, but it is... I feel like it should be more defining if you have bad sex because it should be less common, but that's probably not the case for a lot of people.
0: And how? How? what's the cooling off period after the sex happens where you can call it bad, with like a clear...
1: I feel like immediately. Immediately? <laughs> oh, but you mean like when you're too wrapped
2: up in like the like... Yeah. If you're in a, one of those relationships where it's like...
0: this The sex might not be amazing,
2: but there's something about the relationship, so it's hard to define where like, that starts and ends. Ma-
0: maybe, for example, in the book, uh, our narrator lolly how long would it have taken for her to describe jonas Jon, like she at some point tells ben that jonas was a bad person mm-hmm. but was there enough time for her to te- for her to be able to tell ben that jonas the sex with jonas was not good i feel like she doesn't even know good or bad yet
2: i feel like you can also i feel like it's really difficult because you can have good sex with a bad person and you can have bad sex with a good person so like those things don't always go Mm -hmm. together so it's hard to separate which is why sometimes that can be like very challenging to extricate yourself from certain relationships but yeah so I think I think it they don't always go hand in hand so it's hard to say like what the amount of time needs to be.
3: To be fair their first sexual experience between Lolly and Jonas he like dry humps her and then comes in his pants and then like <laughs> touches their foreheads and is like, the real sex happens up here. In your here. mind. So like, if she doesn't know that's bad sex immediately, that's really a failure on her part. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so. But she's also,
2: like to be fair to Lolly, yes. she's like 19.
3: She is, When that yeah. happens, right? For sure, yeah. yeah. And she's just, very young when that happens.
1: I just feel like if anyone ever tells you that all of sex is in your mind, that's not true. I
2: just think if anyone's ever like, I'm good, clearly nothing <laughs> happened for
1: you. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm was great dying. for everyone, right? <laughs> everyone here had a good time. Put your hand up if you had a good time. Mind orgasm.
0: So Shut Up You're Pretty by Tea Matanji tells the story of a young girl named Lolly who immigrates from Congo to Scarborough. Uh, which is, you know, a good thing for us because we've been reading all the sort of books that capture Scarborough, the suburb of Toronto. Um we talked about David Cherriani's book, brother. We've talked about Carrie Ann Lung's book. So it's nice to see another book uh capture maybe a later era, the nineties. Um and so she moves to the Galloway neighborhood and the book depicts the beginnings of her sexuality. Um so it goes from her and her friend Jolly, Jolie. I putting, read it as Jolie. Y- sorry?
2: I read it as Jolie. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: It depicts uh, her and her friend Jolie putting on makeout shows for petty cash. It um, depicts Lolly working at a massage parlor and a waitress at the same time, um, and it sort of depicts a couple of her relationships with, um, you know, fuck boys of different uh, different levels, different shades, different ages, <laughs> different varieties, but all sort of the same the same uh, the same spirit. <laughs> And it goes from about... The stories take place from about when she's 13 to, I think, about 23... 26. 20, 23, 26. Sorry. Um. Uh, but
1: I think 23. <laughs> Was it 26? It Was that
0: much time? Yeah, and yeah. she does explicitly say 26 at okay. some point. Oh, Which is an interesting thing, because we yeah. were all sort of uh, maybe wondering about how many years passed. It didn't, there's actually one line where it says um, in the first story when uh, they exchange... Revealing when she exchanged revealing her breasts for cash that a year had passed over her head Tits in that for instant. Cigs. Sorry?
2: Tits for SIGs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so um,
3: Yeah. We should also note this is the first book in the VS imprint. So it's a uh, imprint of Arsenal Pulp Press, which is created by one of our other former guest authors, Vivek Shreya.
2: Friend of the pod, Vivic
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Allie. Yes. Do you want to describe a story that maybe stuck in your head?
2: Sure. Um, I think one of the things that you didn't mention in your description there was that not only does she have relationships with men, but she also has really intense relationships with women, Um, most of them like this like very kind of like codependent best friend scenario. Um, So there were a couple stories that stuck in my mind that had to do with that one of them, and I apologize that I'm going to be really bad at remembering the titles of each individual (laughs) story because I kind of read it as like one one thing, Phyllis Green. So, um, Lolly is at this school in Scarborough and she's one of the few black students there. And then Phyllis Green is a new student who is also black. And in the story, uh, Lolly is kind of like put off by the fact that Phyllis Green is kind of like addressing her as another black student and being like, and saying things like we, or including her in kind of this, this pronoun that uses both of them. Um, and she's, It doesn't explicitly say it, but like it does kind of hint at it almost explicitly in the book that she she doesn't want that. She wants to, she doesn't want to be othered like that. Um, But then throughout this process of Phyllis coming, she kind of realizes that she has already been othered, even though it's in a way of acceptance. Like at one point, one of the other girls says like, don't worry, you're with us or you're one of us or something like that. So there is an othering, even though in that process of acceptance that she kind of comes to realize a little bit through the book. Um, And she kind of has this weird relationship with Phyllis where it's a little bit antagonistic and she uh, doesn't want to befriend her in the same way that Phyllis wants to befriend her. And then there's an incident in a stairwell uh, that makes her kind of rethink her entire social group and whether or not she really fits in with them, um, which also involves boys, the incident in the stairwell. And then another one that we can maybe talk about later is uh, she ends up living with someone named Olivia in a, like, one-bedroom, like, a studio apartment that Olivia's mother is paying for. And they, like, have share this really intense space where there are no boundaries. Like, they don't have walls, and they don't really have boundaries in their relationship, and they share a bed. Um, and they're not really doing anything besides living in the apartment and they rarely go out and they just spend all this time together in this really intense kind of relationship.
1: I do think like the Phyllis Green story is interesting to me in a way because, as Ali said, uh, Loli gets kind of automatically paired with her because another, a teacher actually, and it's actually another black teacher, um, is like, I feel like you guys are really gonna have a lot in common and a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why it, probably even more starts off on a antagonistic way. Um, so I I think that is kind of interesting, but I thought that the story actually with Olivia and all of the stories about all the various living arrangements actually that she has were very interesting to me because I don't understand that at all. Um, but the thread of female friendship and codependence and a lack of boundaries is was really interesting to me throughout the book because she doesn't, she has a lot of boundaries like with her mom. But because of that, it seems like she needs all of these boundless relationships. And Olivia has a wealthy mom and she says, picture like a waspy lady at Yorkville having cocktails, <laughs> feel like can, kind of being self congratulatory that she's bought her daughter new furniture from West Elm. And um, yeah, I just thought that was. It's really, I think, I felt shades of that type of codependency or this kind of, I don't know, togetherness in a, in a friendship, but not to that, obviously, like, that extreme. And it's really interesting, I think, in all of our female friendships that end up having a sexual component to them that it's never really, like, addressed. And it's never, like, once it starts, it doesn't seem to really super redefine their relationship. It's kind of just, like, another thing that we do together um and it doesn't seem really talked about either so I'm kind of interested in that
2: and back to your question about like whether bad sex or good sex is more defining i feel like part of that might be that some of the bad sex that you have is this kind of weird mm. shittiness like afterwards lolly goes and asks uh, phyllis like she asks her how she, like if she's okay kind of thing or like was she not if she's okay but she asks her why you, why she did that or something and mm-hmm. phyllis is like According to Lolly, anyways, is happy to have done it because now she has this acceptance within the group, right? Mm. Um, And I feel like a lot of the bad sexual experiences that you have at a younger age, I don't know if it's true for everybody, but I think especially for women, it's that, like, you don't realize until you're older that Mm -hmm. that was shitty. So it's like this thing that comes back. And so you have that double edge of it being bad in the moment, but you not realizing it. So then there's like a second after wave of embarrassment where you're like, shouldn't I have known better? And then you have to like, forgive yourself. And it's like this whole process of like, sorting through this shit that everybody goes through with their bad sexual experiences. Yeah, totally.
1: I feel like I've had friends who are like, like doing that second wave now where they're like, oh, that time that that thing happened was actually so fucked up. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, oh wait.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think also with these stories increasingly, As she gets older, like, there is a link towards how Lolly is black and how people see her, and it gets more and more explicit. And that's also wrapped up in sex, and Mm -hmm. this story was one of the, like, earlier ones like it's in the ones a little bit when she's younger just like by comparison to Jolie like her best friend but in this one like Mason is the shitty terrible boy who's like forcing this girl to give him a blowjob um but the girls are like you know Mason has like jungle fever like you would know about that and she's right. like I don't know about that yeah and uh because Mason's never showed any interest in her and then like later on in stories when she's older like, somebody, like, explicitly dumps her because he says that he's, like, not attracted to black women. So, right. like, there is this, like, link toward, between those two, I think, that gets more explicit as the stories go on.
1: Yeah, I feel like that her relationship with Jolie, like, was so, for lack of a better term, formative. Because, number one, it, like, it really sets her up her in terms of her self sense of self as being, like, in comparison to Jolie. Like, what I noticed was a lot of the ways that she describes people in general in the book is by highlighting and explaining the differences between her and them or like she was like this and that was like and I noticed that because I'm not like that so in a way you're defining yourself like in opposition to other people or through the differences that you have with these people in your life and it also introduced the like sexuality or objectivity or like her physical appearance as being this really powerful defining part of her Mm -hmm. and i was thinking as i was reading the book like whatever you make your life about is like what it's about (laughs) so like for such a young age she made her her life was about her her body who could see it who she would share it with who what she could get for it and like that turns out to define so much of the rest of the book um but it just gets like more and more obviously like what happens.
0: so people just have these early this is their entire the beginning of their sex life because that really sucks if that's like their entirety of like the baseline for the rest of their lives
1: i feel like that's what happens though i feel like if you don't have sex when you're that young then that fucks up in a different way because right. you hold mm-hmm. a complex into your later time when <laughs> right, you finally right, do right. it you're like, I haven't if sex, you yeah and <laughs> yeah, yeah. you have sex when you're 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 young like there's a very good chance that it just also fucks you up. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, are there these perfect people who are like, <laughs> Basically, oh, we're man. like, there's when no I was healthy like, way the very right like <laughs> age, me and my partner, who I was very in love with, had very respectful and consensual and but
0: successful very, sex yeah. for the first <laughs> yeah. time. And ever
1: since then, it's just been productive and great. Like, maybe we need to get rid of the stigma of bad sex. Maybe we need to get rid of... There's trauma either way. If you don't do it, if you do it, maybe that's the conclusion.
0: Uh, Maybe it's like when, like in uh, *Fleabag*, when when Chris Scott Thomas is like talking about when she finally loses the drive and she can be a person instead of a machine. Oh, when she's Uh like,
2: yeah, going through menopause is the best thing that ever happened to her.
0: Yeah, actually, Linda Barry. She read. She read like a a strip that she contributed to this graphic novel about menopause and about how, like, when she was a child, she remembers where she could just be in the background and no one would look at her in a certain way and know and she can just observe and now she's back to being invisible and she can just see again in a different way and it's like this new joy for her. I also
2: Hmm. feel like this time period of like reckoning and Me Too and the feminist movement that's happening at the moment or whatever... That's, like, bringing it to the mainstream is that, like, I have hope for younger generations that they have healthier sexual interactions at a younger age. Yes. Not that, like, I was, like, fucked up or any by my sexual interactions, but I feel like there is more. But I also feel like that there
1: are women of a certain age that are now having to do this, like, mental gymnastics about everything that happened in their life. Yes. Yes. And I feel like if you were able to have positive... Sexual experiences when you were young, it it's like lucky, like it's 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 just lucky, like yeah, like and I'm I'm not saying you're not like a good person who doesn't deserve that. I'm just saying that like, (laughs) what do you think about what did you do? Yeah, lucky.
0: What do you think about
1: all the circumstances around (laughs) it? Yeah, it's
0: random a little bit. It's just
1: random, and it's just like sheer luck that you have like hopefully a good, nice, Mm -hmm. formative time. Sex. Oh god. Did you gonna have bad sex when
2: you're young? That's like not traumatizing. Like you can have yeah. bad sex, it's just yeah, like, well, sure. where happens. like the that worst happened. that
1: happened is like everybody's a little embarrassed, yeah. Right. yeah, right, right, right. That's the most we can hope for. That's what I wish for all of <laughs> yeah. the young that's people. That's what I wish for world. everybody's <laughs> grown up now is that you mildly just have kind embarrassing. of embarrassing, it's it's really mildly embarrassing, yeah. wasn't sure what to do,
0: yeah, too drunk, fairly. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, that's about me. <laughs>
2: Next up, we're talking with author Taya Matangi about her book, Shut Up, You Pretty.
1: We like to have our authors who come in, introduce themselves, <laughs> and just give a little bit, how would you want people to know who you are, and can you give us a little bit of an introduction to Shut Up, You're Pretty? Of course.
4: Hi, I'm Tea Mutongi, and I am the author of Shut Up, You're Pretty, which is really uh, snippets of stories about Loli. She's a very interesting character. She makes a lot of mistakes. And uh, we kind of follow her throughout her life as she's navigating her relationship with her body and her community, and I guess her philosophy on life and that's pretty much a good roundabout without going too deep in it. Major themes I have learned from the audience is that it's...
2: <laughs> from <laughs> everybody telling you what major themes are.
4: People have told me that the major themes happen to be sexual assault and sex work, which I was like, oh, interesting. So that's, um, that's fun. Uh, and that's pretty much what you have going on. Typically, I write poetry, fiction, nonfiction. Actually, I think I write a bit of everything. I just don't really. I don't write stand-up comedy. I think that's about it. I'm <laughs> like,
1: I don't. I don't really like
4: copyright either. But that's about it.
1: Yet I don't you don't know. write stand-up comedy. But, yet or never? Do you think? You know, I
4: think it's a yet. Ooh. I do think it's like a. Uh, it's gonna. It's coming. <laughs> I don't
2: know. Starting out by making by writing your life as, like, funny stories to your friends is, like, yeah. basically the foundation for doing stand-up comedy yeah, you,
4: later. I yeah, I think you've laid
2: some. I'm though. guessing, having <laughs> never written it. I'm like, this is how
1: you do it. I would also liked, like to watch
4: it a lot. I just sit by my room and I watch stand-up comedy, and I'm like, I feel better already. So maybe. It maybe I'll a good dabble. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, One of the other things, so you've said that... You know, people have told you that the themes of the book are sex and sexual assault or mm-hmm. sex work. Um, we did pick up on like the sexuality. I don't know if we characterized the theme necessarily as sexual assault and sex Me neither, work, but to we be we kind of characterized it as like sexuality right. in general. Um, and one of the things about the form that I wanted to ask you about is the choice to make it a first person narrative as well, because um, we've read a couple books where there's been a little bit there's like a little bit of a distance where we're not getting the full kind of Run of thoughts going through Loli's head and how she feels about things. We're mm-hmm. kind of left to like read them as they take place, as she's telling us, and then kind of make our own assumptions about it. Right. And as a result, like there's a, a disconnect a bit uh, between the characters and like the cultural moment that they're in because mm-hmm. they're not, it's not like, oh, I saw this thing on TV and that's making me wonder about XYZ or like I know that this is happening in the world. And since Loli is a black woman, a black girl growing into a woman in a, in a neighborhood where she's not surrounded by other, uh, black children, that kind of, it just was an interesting dynamic. I felt mm-hmm. to have it just be like, these are the things that are happening. Take what you will from it. Right. Um, was, a, was that a purposeful choice to, to have that first person narrative work in that way?
4: It was. um, I wanted. I really wanted to create a book where people had to be part of the book. I really just wanted to imagine, what if I told a story that felt so close to real life that people had to rely on their own livelihood in order to complete the story? And part of the reason why I wanted to do that is because so many people want to tell, especially with Loli and Scarborough as a landscape, so many people want to define Scarborough as one thing. And Loli, the idea behind her character was that everybody's always trying to define her. So I was like, what if I just play into it? What if I just actually give room for people to do that? Um, And I'm very glad I did that because I I read such different interpretation of who she is as a character and not many really reflect who I meant her to be. Mm -hmm. So that's to me is like exactly what I wanted. And it feels like a job well done in that regards. Um, And I don't know, I guess it was also because of like a personal thing, sometimes writing, especially when you're writing, um, you're going from writing nonfiction to fiction. You want to make sure you're not trying to like account for your lived experience when you're writing fiction. So I wanted to make sure I wasn't doing that. Like I wanted to make sure I was creating a world that didn't exist with me in it. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, like I wanted people to not read it. And even though I know some people have assumed that it is based on my life, I wanted people to read it and not assume that these are my thoughts. Like I wanted it to have a really clear distinction and separation between my own voice and that of Lowly. And when I look back at this specific work versus my other work, there's a huge difference in voice. Like this is a dar- is definitely more dark humor, whereas I'm more obnoxious humor in my everyday writing. I I'm I make things that don't really make sense. I don't think I'm a linear thinker very much. Whereas Loli, she's a bit more uh, matter-of-the-fact, exactly very observant, very picture-exactly-as-it-is, as as opposed to me, who's like, I color, I see a black, and I think it's blue, and it's just I'm a lot more theatric in in my relationship with the world, Um, and I wanted to create a character that really felt like I was creating something, like super removed from me
2: you mentioned that a lot of people haven't read her the way that you mm. meant what was your Lolly,
4: Loli, I think I've been saying it back and forth. Yeah, I, Loli would be the... Uh, loli? Loli, like the, the French way. Right. Um, uh, I've To me, Loli was a girl who was carrying a lot of pain that didn't feel like her own pain. Like that's how I read her. But people actually read most of it like her own pain, which I was like, hmm, interesting. I see it now when I read it back too. But uh, through every period of her life, she's actually absorbing so much of the world around her and not actually giving herself space to be present. And that's why when she's experiencing a moment, all she can really do is experience the moment and not like she can't think of it. She can't reflect on it. She doesn't know how to deconstruct it. She doesn't know how to see it for something other than what it is. Whereas some people think that she has a lot more authority that I personally thought she did. Um, and people see her as like a, yes, you know, unsure, has doubt, but more so like a firecracker, like someone who knows what she's doing and like is very much like attacking the world. Whereas I'm like, no, she's she has no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. She She's crying all the time. It's like a cry mm-hmm. for help without realizing. She's just like, what is happening? I never know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that people were like, no, she knows what's going on. That's what she's telling us. I'm like, oh, okay. That's, that's so that's interesting. Been interesting. Yeah,
1: I think that um, one thing where you were talking about how because she actually has less like agency and authority than we might kind of assume she might have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you're saying, like she does, kind of just account for us these experiences that happened to her. And one thing that we were talking about uh, yesterday when we were doing our roundtable discussion was the idea that um, I think for a lot of a lot of young people, and especially these like kind of formative sexual experiences mm-hmm. that you have, they're things that at the time feel pretty like banal like there's no no one's like this is going to shape your attitude towards sex for the rest of your life you just they just happen Uh and then but we don't know and she doesn't know um how that's going to affect her later so is that kind of fair to say I guess that for sure yeah
4: yeah she's really clueless to me like this is and not even in a she has she has no thought or she's not intelligent but just that She's just going at it every day. And I mean, my experience, at least with growing up in Galloway... There was so much freedom in the sense that I don't really have very solid memories of my mom doing a lot of like preaching or their, their moments, sure. But for the most part, I was figuring it out on my own, like little things. Like I learned to braid my hair by myself, like little things, just things that I walked into. And I felt that a lot of the kids that I knew had the same thing. For some reason, when I think of my childhood, I don't remember being in the classroom ever. I don't remember studying ever. I only remember being outside and playing with other kids and discovering the world mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to attempt a story that does that. Um, and so I, I hope that I did that. I think that I, you know, there's definitely room to explore that idea with future works. But that that was a big thing for me because I look at my childhood and I'm like, I, I had a lot of fun. I don't remember having a parents. Like I was just <laughs> living life. It was a wonderland. It was a wonderland. <laughs> was Do you a think guess. that
2: that might be part of why some people have missed, well not misread, but read red lowly differently than mm. how you intended is because there is like because there is no authority figure that's yeah. really present, it's like it seems like she has a lot of agency. For
4: sure. Yeah. Whereas to me, I'm reading it like it makes her less knowledgeable. She has had less wise people affecting her logical thinking. She, I don't really see her as a logical thinker. Mm. You know, I see her more like a emotional thinker or right. like a emotionally active person rather than a logically active person. How That's did so nice. Vivek
2: become familiar with your work in the... Like, how did the initial, like, yes, we're going to do your book, how did that come through?
4: It was through the contest. So the con- That was the first oh, year. Oh, right, the contest. Yeah. I completely forgot
2: about the contest. Yeah,
4: which I, I was not even going to apply. It is the funniest story ever. My professor Daniel Tisdale, he sent me the link in April and we had just finished writing a collection of poetry through his class and he told me, "I think you should send your collection. It's fully done. Spend the summer editing it." And I respond, "No, I'll write a new co- I'll write a new manuscript because that's just who I am." So I actually just locked myself <laughs> in a room all summer and for 4 months I Kept rewriting, rewriting. And finally, on the day of the submission, I woke up at like 5 a.m. and I changed half of it. I literally rewrote the first 10 stories and then I submitted it on time.
1: <laughs>
4: Something. And I was like, this is, this is the worst piece of work ever. It is terrible on all levels. It's just not gonna work. Um, and, and then a couple of weeks later, she just emailed me, it was like, hey, do you wanna grab coffee? <laughs> Cool. So I went for just coffee and then I left with the book deal. It was the weirdest thing. I was really confused. Um, <laughs> I think for her, one thing that she said was "I the lack of fear I had towards telling certain stories was something that she really liked, um, which is something that I keep with me. And I love that. And, and I love knowing that I I inspired someone to work with me because of this lack of fear that I supposedly have. And it's it's been really good. So that's cool.
2: Have you felt like generally you have a lot? Like, was is that a personality characteristic that you think that you have? Is a
4: lack of fear? I don't think I had that until I worked with Vivek. Because when I wrote this book and when I was doing this work, because I was stressed on time, I didn't have time to develop fear. You know, because yeah. I was like, okay, the last <laughs> this needs month, to get done, so. yeah, I didn't have time to think about. And that's something that I learned to face while working with Vivek. Because a lot of the problems I had were not really in terms of writing a short story or structure, but it was. The knowing the stories I was writing, like a lot of the work I did with Vivek, was talking about actually having anxiety over sharing these stories and um, being afraid of 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 people reading it and and being looked at and and being challenged and deconstructed and people asking if it's about my life. And I feel a lot of the work I did with Vivek was preparing me for exactly that to happen because I knew going in. That the possibility was really large because I follow the media. I, I studied media studies. I, I read books and I, I read the news. I know how people react to things. And I knew for a fact that I would have a strong reaction to certain stories. And some stories I couldn't even bear publishing, the reaction ended up taking out. Um, but I feel that. As me and Vivek were developing these stories and talking about where I wanted to go, a lot of these conversations were also prepping me to be comfortable with, with that being out in the world. And now I write with a lack of fear, whereas before, that was a total mistake. That was a friendly accident. You know, I didn't have time to think about the social implication of the work I was doing or like the political, like I didn't even realize how strong it was in terms of writing a person of color and writing a girl who experiences um, sex work. These are themes that I didn't even realize how important they were to be discussed while I was writing them. They were just themes that I thought were interesting and worthy of being heard. Um, and getting ready for having a public audience was definitely a big thing. And and now I feel like I, I do the work with that intention, whereas before it was a happy accident.
2: Without giving too much away because you didn't want to put them in the book, mm-hmm. what were some of the stories that you weren't more- Like, what were some of the topics or themes of the stories that you didn't want to include?
4: A lot of, uh, at the early stage of the manuscript, a lot of it actually dealt with Congolese culture, African culture, and blackness. And I didn't want to suggest that because these stories were so repetitive... And I knew that it was also a new thing. Like there are not many books written with a female protagonist who is from Africa and who is living her life. That That's just not a thing that's really popular in fiction. I didn't want to, to write a book that was just trauma-based, right? Mm. I wanted to, if I'm going to talk about, if I'm going to be part of the first few people writing a collection of fiction stories about a young girl, um, I want to make sure I'm doing it right. And because... Of that, I took out those stories so that I can put it in a different text and actually expand on it and spend time with it, as opposed to being like, this is how it is being black, African, refugee, Congolese, whatever. I didn't want to do that with this collection. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the right collection. And um, I just didn't want to confuse that, right? Because a lot of it, growing up, at least for me, being Congolese, a lot of my childhood was really tied to religion. Um, it's a, I think it's a pretty popular reality for a lot of African People. It's like religion and God. It's a big thing. Our culture is really tied to that and not so much with Christianity, but it's more like a culture thing. Like sometimes I'm like, are we praying towards a God or towards a person that we think is God? Because it seems like there's a God that's tangible back home, you know, like churches back home and the way we do ceremonies is so impactful and so powerful. And that was things that were initially in the book that I was like, I can't put that here because, well, it's not,
1: I don't have enough space to mm-hmm. expend on it. Yeah. So, uh, this is probably the best part of the podcast. No pressure. Okay. Um, If people (laughs) love "Shut Up You're Pretty" Mm -hmm. and they want to stay in the same vibe, similar theme, similar tone, Mm -hmm. what is a song or an album that they could listen to? Uh, Cisa Control. Yes. Is it
4: S Z? I don't really know if I think it's Cisa, right? Cisa Control. Oh, Control. It is literally the guiding album of I actually could make a playlist to match the stories with the songs and I don't know if it's because it's the only album I listen actually I also listen to Ariana Grande but it's like the main album I was listening to while I was writing this and I was like yes you know what I'm feeling it was great and I still I love it I love going back to listening the album and remembering the summer I was writing this collection the first time and just being locked up in the library it's just a perfect match and I, I wonder if subconsciously she was giving me these vibes, you know?
1: I would love the idea of you putting the songs in order and like matching them to the book. Because what we do is we put together like a a playlist of everyone's recommendations, but I would love to get your... Um, matching of songs to 100%. story. And also, I want to say, Ali unconsciously already made this connection because you were wearing oh, my a,
2: shirt a scissors
1: shirt yesterday when we talked about your book. Oh so, my god, that's
2: amazing! Yes. That makes
1: me so happy. It's like a top five album for me, so yeah. great choice, cross I the board.
2: I love uh, it. Yeah,
4: normal girl, I was like, this is how Lily feels. This is her. Normal girl. She wants to be a normal girl. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> so yeah, oh my god, I'm so glad someone caught on that. It just makes me so proud. <laughs> that's
1: awesome. So that's glad
2: awesome. I wear the shirt. Yeah. So the next question, if somebody wants to continue on the same tone vibe mm-hmm. as Shut Up, You're Pretty. What is a movie or TV show that you would recommend?
4: A movie? Definitely. Actually, I'm going to say Euphoria just now that I'm watching it, mm-hmm. but maybe less because Euphoria is a bit too much, but um, <laughs> definitely 13. Uh, 13 was like a big movie that I really was thinking about. I was like, you know what? That was fearless. That They, they went there. I'm going to go there too. Mm-hmm. So 13 definitely aligns. Not so much with the older stories, of course, but you know, with the beginning stories, um, to imagine what happened to those two girls as they grow older, I'm going to assume that probably some of the same things that Lily experienced, maybe, most likely. How old were you when you saw 13? I was 13. 13? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was, I was not, like, as a kid, I got into weird places. Like, I was very much, well, I grew up with older people. That's probably one of the main reasons why. But I mean, I I I read Lolita when I was like in ninth grade and I couldn't really speak English very well. I mean, I could speak it, but I couldn't understand it very well. So I didn't know what I was reading. Mm -hmm. And when I read it again for a comparison essay in university, I was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, I emailed my teacher and I was like, I didn't realize what I was reading. Yeah. Right. And yeah, so that's very interesting that I read that. I was like, what a beautiful love story. At 13 years old, it was great. So yeah, for sure.
1: The last comparison is, if people are loving Shut Up, You're Pretty, they want to engage same theme, same vibe, what's a book that they can read? We know it's not Lolita, so <laughs> it. But
4: you can see the connection with we the were, we, so we talked about, we talked about it, we, we, we talked were just about like, it, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah.
4: Oh, you guys are my favorites. Yeah. love everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it would be 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl by Mona mm-hmm. Watt. Um, funny enough, at the minute after I left Vivek when we first met, she mailed me a copy of that book. Cause the second we left and we, I told her what I wanted to do with this book and everything. She was like, you need to read this book. And then I read it and I was like, this is what I want to do. So it was pretty funny. Like Vivek read my manuscript and she immediately saw the connection and I hadn't heard yet of 13 ways of looking at a fat girl. Um, and then I just one day came into the mail. She, I didn't know she was sending it and it was just like to inspire you. Like, I was like, Oh, so nice. And then I read it in one go and I was like, we're ready, we're good, we're getting in there.
1: I just feel like I'm so happy that you came on because I feel like you're bringing so much of like our podcast actually together because yeah. Mona was just on the podcast and she was so lovely and so wonderful. Vivek of course is a great friend to the podcast and yeah. now you're here. So I feel like we're just like, we're vibing. Like we are like, this is very good. This is very good. Um, Thank you so, so much for coming. Yeah,
2: thank you so
4: much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank
2: Um, you. um, Is there anywhere that people should go if they want to follow what you're up to Mm -hmm. or look forward to what you're working on next?
4: I'm on Twitter. It's at Tiamutongi. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm also on Instagram with the same handle, at Tiamutongi. I will let you know that I haven't posted a post on Instagram yet, but I'm planning on it soon. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you.
1: I just thought that the story called "Old Fashions" was gonna be about hand jobs. I was a little bit. Yeah,
2: is "old yeah. fashioned" slang for hand
1: job? Yeah, it's like an old-fashioned, like an old-fashioned thing to do. Like
2: <laughs> Give a hand job. <laughs> Give a hand job. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Semiprose is a Penguin Random House Canada production. Please visit us at semiprose.ca for more information about all the books we talk about. Follow us on Twitter at Semiprospod, and rate and review us on iTunes.